My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. It's hard to believe that Seinfeld remains as popular a show now as it was when it debuted over 25 years ago. How old does that make everyone feel? The self-described show about nothing lives on in syndication as well as streaming online or DVDs and attracts millions of viewers on a daily basis all around the world, myself included. One episode that was on a week or two ago featured the character Elaine Bennis getting Kramer and Newman to assist her in a moment of great need. She wanted to get rid of her neighbor's dog who, after endlessly barking at night, made sleep impossible for her, leaving her at the point of mental and physical exhaustion. So they conspire to kidnap Roxy and to let the dog loose somewhere up in upstate New York, never imagining that this creature is going to find himself running all the way back home to New York City, right back to the owner's apartment and barking once again and tormenting poor Elaine. This being a, a sitcom, this elaborate investigation is opened by the NYPD into the pooch's initial disappearance, where they were able to link a, a piece of Kramer's shirt that Roxy had torn off in the incident and somehow had carried with him all these hundreds of miles running home to eventually arrest Kramer, Newman, and Elaine. And as the police are taking Elaine to the police station, looking at what her life has become, kidnapping a dog with these two imbeciles in the middle of the night, and then getting arrested for it, she gets very reflective and very philosophical. She declares, I need to make some changes. What kind of life is this? And I think that that's kind of a, a trending thought or an attitude for a lot of people that we, we share right now. Being only a couple weeks into the new year, this is often a time where people have taken on a, a New Year's resolution to focus on some specific area that they want to make some changes. Got to eat better, 
drink less or maybe exercise more. This week in particular, we're aware more so than usual in this very polarized and divided nation that we are in, where we have people that have very different understandings of what changes need to be made. As a nation, tomorrow we mark Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and call to mind the, the sins of racism in our nation. We have the inauguration on Wednesday after a very bitter campaign. And then the 47th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision on Friday, which legalized abortion, the destruction of innocent life in the womb. So we're well aware of the idea of change that comes from vastly differing viewpoints on a whole range of issues. Spiritually, many people find themselves in a very reflective spot as well. Whether they're faithful Catholics who find themselves at Mass regularly, to those who are elapsed or maybe never really practiced any religion for some time, after a year where sickness and death and fears, both real and imagined or manipulated, have been front and center for everyone, one of the things that, that's resulted in is that introspection that people are having, saying, I need to make some changes inside. That's evidenced by how the top podcast in the nation for the last three weeks has been Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year podcast. This is just an audio of Father Mike reading and offering a short reflection for about 20 minutes a day on Scripture, and it's been the number one podcast in all categories since the debut, beating all of these shows from New York Times, ESPN, and the assortment of celebrities and personalities that were constantly in that top spot or vying for it for years. No doubt this collective unrest, the, the pandemic, the tensions all combined as great majorities of people looking at the world, looking at the nation, looking at ourselves and saying, we need to make some changes. And that's exactly the place that the two disciples of John the Baptist find themselves at the start of this gospel. We hear of Andrew and another who remains anonymous, perhaps as an invitation for each of us to place ourselves into the narrative. And they've been following John the Baptist. What drew them to John was listening to him preach of the need for repentance, for a change of heart, for a change of life that was necessary for everyone. Whether it was the Roman occupiers or the Jewish leaders and teachers, or just a regular man and woman on the streets. He had been calling out the corruption and the lies and the deceit that had affected and afflicted everyone. And the majority of the world hated him for that. It's one of the reasons he'll eventually end up arrested and beheaded. The world then, like now, often hates the truth. But for Andrew and the other disciple, this, this preaching resonated in their hearts and their souls and tapped into their, their deepest of desires. Yeah, they saw the ugliness of the world. They saw the corruption in their own religion. They saw the messes in their own lives, which made them followers of John and wanting it all to change. So when John points to his cousin Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, that immediately catches their attention in a, a profound way. Up until then, a, a lamb of God would have just been the spotless lamb that the Jews sacrifice as an offering just to express their, their need for purification, their obedience, their offering the best that they could provide 
out of love for all that God had done and continued to do for his people. It was a way of them remaining connected to God despite all the challenges and difficulties that they encountered. But on this particular day, in this specific moment, where these two have been focusing on and reflecting on the need to make change, John points to Jesus as the way to go. And so they set off. They go follow him. And he turns and asks, what are you looking for? Trying to express the deepest unspoken desires, those drives and forces that reverberate in the heart and soul is hard to sum up in a word or in a single answer, which is probably true for each of us as well. Jesus is asking us that very question with this proclamation, what are you looking for? And most likely we can find ourselves going through lists of feelings, prayer intentions, questions that we want answered, dreams that we've held on to, unexplained setbacks or failures that left us maybe disillusioned or confused. The directness of Jesus' question leaves us a little bit tongue-tied. The disciples answer his question with a question. Where are you staying? To which he invites them, come and you will see. They don't realize is that the heart directs what their minds are still blind to. What they were looking for, the change that they desperately needed, it was him. And our being here says the same thing. Despite being bombarded by chaotic and divisive voices that could distract or manipulate or unnerve us. We recognize that none of those things, none of those answers can fulfill what it is that we truly seek. The need for the change that we seek won't be found in many of the everyday experiences or headlines that are often treated with the greatest of urgency. We might feel as clueless as those first disciples but our hearts draws us to Jesus, the Lamb of God. We have heard his invitation, and we too have come, and we long to see him. And what he tells us that is that we don't have to allow ourselves to be defined by our sins, or the lies of the devil who keeps reminding us of those sins, and says that that's who we are. Instead, Jesus promises us that we can trust in his love and his mercy, and if we stop allowing everyone and everything of this world to distract us and remain focused on him, then we recognize and realize that true change that we desire from who we are at this moment to becoming who it is that God calls us to be. And that's when the truth of what Pope St. John Paul II once said rings true for us. He said very beautifully, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He's the beauty to which you are so attracted. It's he who provokes in you that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It's he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It's he who reads your heart, your most genuine choices, the choices others try to stifle. It's Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves 
to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and fraternal.